This is the Future of HR podcast, episode 59. And so to me, what matters with HR is what impact are you having? And why is this place different? Because you were there. And it's not because of our administrative skills. It's because we have a neutral way of showing up that helps line management live out their own intentions, which is the only purpose of a consultant. It's not to deliver expertise or be right, get the job done. It's to help people around us live out their intentions. Those HR people that know that are powerful and they're not waiting for a seat at the table. They are the table. How can you build an authentic and trusting relationship with your business leaders? Why is it important that we see our role as helping our leaders live out their intentions, not ours? Hi, I'm your host, J.P. Elliott, and this is the Future of HR podcast, the only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future. During our candid conversations, you will learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their insights on how to take our field, and most importantly, your career to the next level. Today, my guest is Peter Block. Peter's a renowned thought leader in the realm of organization development and community building. Peter describes himself as an author and citizen of Cincinnati, Ohio. He's also a partner in Designed Learning, a training company that offers workshops designed to build the skills outlined in his books. His insights and best-selling books, including my personal favorite, Flawless Consulting, A Guide to Gain Your Expertise Used, and Community, The Structure of Belonging, have inspired HR professionals and leaders to view their roles as catalysts for positive change. His writings and work also emphasize the importance of strong relationships, being authentic, and focus on community building within our organizations. And if you've not read Flawless Consulting, I think you should. It should be a required reading for all HR leaders. Peter also has a new book coming out in November called Activating the Common Good, Reclaiming Control of Our Collective Well-Being. It should be on your list as well. And as someone who's studied Peter's work over the years, especially the principles in Flawless Consulting, I have to say one of my favorite quotes from Peter is this. How do you change the world? One room at a time. Which room? The one you're in. That's exactly what happened during our conversation. I left our conversation changed for the better. I left our conversation inspired by the impact HR leaders can have in our organizations. And I left our conversation wanting to be a better HR leader myself. And I truly hope that our conversation today leaves you just as inspired. Specifically, in my conversation with Peter today, we discuss why relationships are the delivery systems of how work gets done, how decisions are often driven by relationships, emotions, and other factors rather than rational thinking, why he believes feedback is overrated, why it's critical that HR speaks authentically and addresses what's happening in the moment, how HR leaders can handle resistance, and why overcoming it is about uncovering a leader's doubts not providing more evidence? Why asking your key stakeholders, what about our relationships you find valuable is the most effective way to build trust? And why HR needs to stop waiting for a seat at the table and become the table. Peter, welcome to the future of HR. How are you? 
I'm great. I'm happy to be here. And uh, thank you for the invitation. My first question to you is I want to talk about your classic book, Flawless Consulting. It came out in 1981. And over 40 years later, it is still viewed as one of the best, if not the best book on how to be a consultant and how to effectively do it. Why do you think the book and its ideas have had such impact and staying power? I think I found a vehicle to take something very elusive, relational, and make it concrete and useful. And the basic idea is that no matter who you are or how expert you are, HR, IT, expert, relationships are the delivery system of what you know. And I gave form to that, and I found very specific things you could do. And if you do that, you move the action forward. You don't get what you want. You won't get promoted. Nobody will know. But every time you're in a room, you feel like, well, something got moved forward, even if it was the end of my project. And that's that. the, the helplessness is what we're up against. And I think it was response to helplessness, period. And I have no idea what the answer to your question is. Well, sometimes we don't know why certain books, certain principles really resonate, but I think you're right. I think what you really talked about, and I have a PhD, went to graduate school, read Flawless Consulting, studied it, have read it actually multiple times in my career. And a lot of the, one of the principles in there around being yourself as instrument, being able to speak authentically, but also call it what's happening in the moment. Call it as you see it. It's something you've got to be able to do as an HR person. And I think what resonated for me hearing that was my point of view matters, but it wasn't really my point of view is how do I make sure that I'm really mirroring what's happening so that everyone could at least respond to it. And like you said, move forward. And it was the, it was all the undertow the relationships, the emotions that was actually driving decisions. It wasn't rational. It was other things that are getting in the way of making progress. And that's why I think it resonated for me. Thank you. Now I know how to answer your question next time it's asked. (laughs) I I agree with you. I think it is the undertow, giving form and structure to the undertow. And, And you can have both things. You can be expressed and you can be present to what's going on outside. You don't have to choose. So why do these skills matter to HR to be able to help move things forward, understand a relationship, consult flawlessly? It matters because most of lying organizations' expectation of HR is too low. Would you please handle those things that we don't have time? Would you please organize compensation, do performance reviews? Would you do talent acquisition, which is the weirdest two words I've ever heard, as if we're shopping for people. And we, and they, anyway, and so that's too small a version because all of those can be automated and will be and have. And so to me, what matters with HR is what impact are you having? And why is this place different? Because you were there. And it's not because of our administrative skills. It's because we have a neutral way of showing up that helps line management live out their own intentions, which is the only purpose of a consultant. It's not to deliver expertise or be right, get the job done. 
is to help people around us live out their intentions. And that's the real, those HR people that know that are powerful and they're not waiting for a seat at the table. They are the table. And they're doing that by helping the business leaders act out their intentions. By being confronting them. It's not help. It's they're confronting the business leaders with what do you, what do you intend to do here and how is it going? And that consultative process to help the leaders make better decisions they would have made on their own, think about things differently. And that way, HR, do you view HR leaders as consultants? I use them as leaders. I use the word consultant because I got into a bad habit. Okay. And it works. But the consultant honors the fact that we cannot control what we care about. And that's the part of the consultant that, that I think works. And you're not helping leaders just make better decisions. You're helping them build an accountable culture. You're helping them build relationships so people will meet their commitments and live out their decisions. It's one thing to make a decision. It's another thing to see it uh, embodied in the world. That's the promise of HR. Hmm. I love how you talked about that. The bar is a little bit too low for HR, right? In terms of us doing things that could be outsourced, things that aren't really driving the culture and bringing... Exactly that leadership to life. So that's, that's inspirational. Exactly. And we don't exist to meet other people's expectations. It didn't work with your parents and it doesn't work with your clients because it's too small a reason to show up because we are acts of imagination. And I think that the reason we have HR or people officers is because there's a longing in the business for the culture to be something more than than simply instrumental relationships, commodified ways of being together. Everybody wants to find meaning and purpose where they go to work. And that's why when they had a chance to stay home, the reason they didn't come back isn't because of the convenience. It's because it allowed them to reflect on their experience at work and realize if I have a choice, let me think about it. You think people would stay home? Because the work well, experience depends. Is- you know, yeah. But, then, but, but even that has its problem. Anyway. Well, I like what you're saying there, if I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but you know, part of the reason there is an HR function or human resources function, a people function, is aspirational. Because we're really trying to bring the best that we can, the best best culture, the best intentions, the best impacts to life. Yes. And that's really what HR is supposed to be doing. Yes. That's, that's our, the best version of ourselves. And it is aspirational and implies a promise. And then, you know, then you, you face life, but you, you can reimagine how you deal with the resistance and difficulty you find in the world. That is a different take than a lot of people have on HR, right? Because we can be transactional. We can be very narrow focused in our roles. Um, but I agree the best HR leaders think bigger around that. And I think the best business leaders embrace HR as that aspirational figure and partner 
to help bring the best yes. to life for that culture. Another saying that you've said, it's always stuck with me and is that meeting the consultant where they're at, you know, thinking about consulting and trying to make that impact and help create impact. And you really have five phases of consulting. Can you talk to us about the five phases and which ones are most critical, challenging? Each phase is a world in and of itself. Anyone will do. And so the first one is just personal acknowledgement, is to make contact and ask people ridiculous questions like, tell me what you're up against and how do you feel about working with me on this project at this moment? Now that blows up everything we know about going to work because it says how you feel and it's an invitation for your doubts. See, I'm not sure HR, I've been this, blah, blah, blah. I want to hear what doubts you have. If you have reasons you really don't want to go ahead with this project, but you don't know how to say no, I want to hear them and let you know that it's fine with me. I'm not here to sell you something. And if somebody says, well, tell me about what you've achieved elsewhere, I would say, I'll tell you but it won't help. That what's persuasive to the world is how you show up with them and asking you how you feel. And never sell yourself. Nobody is persuaded by evidence. Hmm. Evidence is a defense against authenticity. And the fact that you saved 300,000, you did this, you did that, tells me that nothing unique is going to happen here. You just came here to sell me some company program, performance review, innovation, performance. Stop selling. Listen. Second step is tell me what you're up against. And I want to let you know that I'm here and I have nothing in mind. For you. I want to know what you're up against. And I want to let you know that I can understand the nature of your life, whether it's joy or difficult. And if they say, well, what do you think I should do? And you say, well, nothing occurs to me at the moment. Then what the hell are you here for? Good question. In other words, you're not going to fit into the mold. Oh, I, I know and you don't. I'm expert, you're not. And then the third is the contracting, is the exchange of wants. I want to know what you want from me. Oh, I, I want from the project. I want to cut costs. I want to speed. I want these people. I want those people. Everybody has something in mind for other people. You say, I got it. Thank you. Comma, eye contact. What do you want from me? I don't want anything from you. I want to get this job done. So you're trying to make our relationship relevant. And that's unique. Nobody talks about our relationship early on. They only talk about it in moments of disappointment. And so you're saying, tell me what you want. The essence of a delivery system for expertise is people who can tell each other what they want from each other. And I want you to know that just because you asked me for what you want, that I will decide whether I can deliver that. I, I want to meet your expectations, but some of them are, are looking for magic. 
I want you to take care of this problem, turnkey operation. I don't have, I know that's what you want. And that's not something I can deliver. And I want to keep talking. And then radical world do we as a lowly staff person, as a wait staff at the dining room table, okay, have a right to make demands on people who are there to serve. Yeah, the traditional answer is no, I'm in a service function. I'm a consultant. I'm in HR. I'm a staff function. Okay. But then how can I be powerful if I can't make demands? So here's what I want from time, attention, depth, tolerance for ambiguity, not knowing, whatever it is you want. And then you ask people, the next step is what doubts do you have? The questions of control and vulnerability. Every time a project doesn't go well, it's not because they ran out of time. Time and money are never reasons not to do something. Every line manager in the universe has all the time to do everything that matters to them. And they have all the money to fund what matters. So you say, what doubts do you have about the amount of control you have over our work I don't know what you're talking about. I know you don't know what I'm talking about. But if you did, what concern? So I, 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 I'm never distracted by people's commitment to not be intimate and connect with me. All right? And then the other thing is, how do you feel? Any way you feel vulnerable as a result of our working together? No. Well, if there was a way, and maybe they're not, but I want to communicate to the world that us talking about our vulnerability is how work gets done, our commitments. And then the last is appreciation, is what you've done in this meeting. It's work. Because everybody who works with staff people or anybody is looking for deficiencies. What can we do better next time? And the answer is nothing. There will be no next time. I don't believe in life after death. This meeting is ending and the way we complete our time together. It reconstructs our humanity being together, which is how expertise gets delivered. Just to say, here's what work. Even asking the line manager, the CEO, all right, whose office is nicer than my home, if I go to the office, what did I do in this meeting that was useful to you? Well, why are you asking me that? Because I want to do it again. And if I don't hear from you, I won't know what worked. Okay, here's what you do. And these, each of these pieces change the world in a small way. We're only together for 15 minutes. It doesn't matter. I showed up in a way that allowed people to experience an alternative way of being together. And I did it without ever, ever making a point. I did it by who I am with you. It's a high bar here you're talking about, right? Fundamentally, the trust that you're trying to build to take a different approach. When we talk about relationship building, people are like, well, how are your kids? Do you golf? You know, superficial things versus 
did I add value in this meeting? Well, tell me the answer. And I recently had a situation where one of our co-CEOs said to me, hey, you're the HR guy. You should have the answer. And I said, I have an opinion, but I don't have an answer. Beautiful. We have to have an answer together, right? And I know it's easy sometimes to want to have that answer, but we have a good relationship. What you're saying is just to continue to push on how are we working together? How are you experiencing me? Keep asking the question, even if you don't get an answer. You could have said, uh, I don't have an answer. Does that disappoint you? He says, yeah, it disappoints me. And you say, I know, comma, eye contact. You know, part of it, part of being powerful is I don't have to explain myself. My, not my mother, not my father. But that was beautiful what you said. Well, thank you for I the coaching. I didn't, I, I didn't come here for an answer to give you an If I had one, I'd give it to you. But I, I, I love that. I have opinions about everything. But most of them are useless. So I'm saving you. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's a good response. No, I'm just explaining it. No, it's true. You talk a lot about this. You're operating in two different levels because when you're trying to build that relationship, the client, the business leader is still focused on the tactics, right? And how do you operate where you're saying, I can help you with the tactics and be of service to you, but still build the relationship and the dynamic where you're going to enable that leader to take accountability and drive the results. I think that is the, the hardest part of being an HR leader. It is. It means you have to be bilingual. And when we talk about building relationship, I never use those words. I just do it. Mm-hmm. And the reason I do it is because the content, the tactics won't work if people aren't connected. If, and if I'm not connected to my client, then I can't help them be connected to each other. And so you're embodying something without naming them. Bottom line, goals, net profit, absolutely. I'm that kind of guy. Now, how do you feel about working with me? Why are you asking me that? Because I care about bottom line goals and that, and that won't happen if you don't create a culture where people are willing to deliver on their promises and be explicit about their shortcomings. What doesn't work? You know, billions of dollars get spent because people knew early on what doesn't work, but they weren't, they were afraid to say it. What do you do in a situation where you say, how do you like working with me? Right. And they say, or am I adding value? How did, did I add value in this meeting? And they say, I'm not sure you did. Or I don't like working with you. How do you respond back to some of that? For a lot of leaders, they don't want to get this deep. They want to keep it they, at that surface level. They want to, but they're, they don't know. They're not used to. And so... Somebody says to me, Peter, you, you're not adding value. I don't know what you're talking about half the time. Okay? And I say, thank you. Period. And I'd love to say more about that. Because what they'll get to is if they were a participant in this conversation also. I could ask you, JP, how is this energy going? 
And you can say, well, it's a little predictable. I don't know, Peter. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to make something of it, but it's not going well. Now, we just got interesting. Wow. So we're not doing an interview. You and I are talking to each other. And I don't take it personally. People don't like what I'm doing. I say, thank you. Tell me more. I love what, there's a sentence that changed my life. And the sentence was, I'm warning you now, if you argue with me, I'm going to take your side. And if people can tell you how they're frustrated, disappointed, then, and I could listen to that and not do anything. Got it. Thank you. It's not easy for you to say that to me so clearly. I appreciate that. All of a sudden, we trust each other. And at that moment, do you say, I want to respond to the feedback? I'll, no. Because that's a common pitfall the HR leaders are going to fall into. We want to say, thank you for the feedback. I'll do better next time. I'll work on that. You say no. That's that's code for, I can't find a non-swear word to use at this moment. To thank you for the feedback, I'll work on it. It means I haven't heard you at all. I'm just trying to be effective, trying to look like. Now, if I really want to respond, I say, well, here's what it means to me, what you just said. You know, it's painful. And I didn't come here to disappoint you. But the fact we've talked about it, maybe we can change things. I don't know. But you don't want to say thank you for the feedback. You're placating. Yeah, that's what I did to mother to manage my mother. Uh, my favorite story is I broke a plate. She said, what happened? I said, nothing. And uh, she said, what's that on the floor? I don't know. She said, don't do it again. And I said, I won't. That was my way of managing authority. And I, think, I still remember it a few years later. Don't Hopefully manage it. Just be present to that person. And also respond with how the feedback made you feel. Yeah, it's hard. It is hard. It's hard to hear that. What about some other common pitfalls that HR leaders fall into or consultants? Let's just focus on HR leaders primarily. And we've talked about a few. There are other things that come to mind? We have two small uh, a view of what we're here for. And we begin to think we're here to implement top management's wishes. Too small a God to worship. All right, we're here to change the nature of the culture, the conversation between top management and the people that work. And so even if I'm sent out on a program implementation process and I have a deck I never take it seriously. And yeah, I say, well, this is an excuse for us to connect people to each other in a different way. And so I can always take whatever the assignment is. Whoever invites me in, and maybe the, a group that I just don't work well with, the fact the inviter, so every invitation is a chance to engage with them and then with each other in a conversation. 
They're not used to have it. Otherwise, what was they doing there? Explaining something. And so it's just, and the other thing is, is, as HR, we need to be together with each other. Most HR is very compartmentalized. And we don't think we're worthy of investing significant time in who we are with each other. And so it's just a, you know, a lot of them are a self-esteem issue. And, uh, and it's intimidating. I always felt I was talking to people who were more powerful, smarter, and stronger than I was. And so I forced myself to act as if I belonged there. Now, I need a place for my doubts and reservation, but I do that after 6 p.m. Or on podcasts. I think it's a really important point that I've always felt, and I think it's gotten better, but HR had an inferiority complex. Totally. And finance doesn't get worried about how they're going to present the numbers. Even marketing, you don't hear them talk about see at the table, but HR we have. And I think it's gotten better, but we've got still a long way to go. It's challenging. The reality is some people are going to look at us differently. And but so you've, that, you've got that's to That's true with life. I, I, it's called internalized oppression. I do not have to take as true other people's view of me. Feedback is overrated. I don't believe in feedback. People say, Peter, would you like some feedback? I say, no. Now, if you're mad at me, I'd like to hear about it. But don't package it as help. Okay? And then, and so I don't have to buy your version of me. I don't want to argue with you about it. But the real cost is to think that maybe you're right. Maybe I am marginal. And that's been a huge struggle. That's I think that's why this book and the work, the design learning and work. I mean, we've run workshops for forty years, so two million people went through these workshops. And the and the key to the workshop is we get people not content from the book, but the experience of the book. And that's what HR is designed to do: is give line managers the experience with each other that they wouldn't have had if we weren't. Really, really interesting, Peter. This conversation has definitely taken a turn. I will tell you that this is a more authentic conversation than I expected. Um, at times, uncomfortable because I'm not sure how to actually respond and be articulate to every point because I am processing as we're going on. So that's my experience, but I am Thank learning you. a lot. Are um, you disappointed in the conversation? I am not actually, no, no. I think people will get a lot out of it. And for me, you know, part of this podcast for me is I started the podcast because I want to know I believe I know what good HR looks like, and I want to make sure I'm putting people out there on my podcast that next generation HR leaders should be looking into learning about and following. And that's one reason why I was excited to have you in the podcast. So for me, so I'm definitely not disappointed. Am I disappointed in myself? No. But I'm good. learning good. to go with you because I think that's, it's a journey. It's a journey. Your, your, your disappointment in yourself is a bad habit. Yeah, no, actually I'm not. I'm, I'm having a great good. time with you. I'm just trying to keep up with your brain power and the next question. So this is a great podcast for myself. That's the pressure I put on myself, truthfully. But I think I, one question in your book, in Flaws Consulting, 
you talk about the six partner building questions. I know this is an updated version of Flawless Consulting. And I think this is so important because we talk about relationship building, like we said, or partner building. You've radically shifted the paradigm of what that is just in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Talk to me more, just tell us more about some of these questions and how they come out if, if we haven't captured that yet. Well, uh, the challenge is to embody, to act on what we know. How do you give shape and form? And I believe that the transformation occurs through question. We get connected to questions, not through answers. The answer world wants to control some. And so most webinars, most podcasts are to give an answer. And questions uh, invite us into each other. And so you think, well, what are the questions that I don't know how to defend against? One of them is, you know, what's the crossroads you're at at this stage of your career? Hey, come on, Peter, leave me alone. I'm trying to interview you, for God's sake. Leave me. But if you, and then I need to answer that to myself also. Another question is, what doubts do you have about? What reservations do you have? And the deeper question to ask your clients is, what have you said yes to you no longer mean? Hey, man, leave me alone. I am leaving you alone. But I know if they answer the question, what have you said yes to that you no longer mean? They discover at that moment how to be accountable to each other, even when the news isn't good. If I ask you, what's the no you've been postponing with each other? I, my inability to say no keeps me from making a commitment. So if I want to create a culture where people are committed to each other, then they have to express their doubts. I don't defend myself. So I just have been collecting questions that have real accountability and real connection built into the question, no matter how you answer, you're doomed. There's no no. There's nothing in my life that I reluctantly say no to. God, as soon as you say that out loud, you realize what a fool you are. I don't have to comment. And the gifts conversation, you know, none of us realize gifts are the pathway to contribution. That overcoming my deficiencies is of no use except to shut me down over time and lead me to the belief that I'm not enough. The consumer culture is organized around my belief that I need something more. Therefore, I have to go shop. Relationally, it's the same way. Tell me I want to improve myself. Well, one way you can improve yourself is by confronting your gifts. So you ask people, what's the gift you've received as a result of our being together? What what are you talking about? I don't know what I'm talking about. Answer the damn question. And that's a stance. It's not a style. Okay. And just what, what was useful to you, say it in your own way. You know, before we go, what worked? as a result of our being. And I'll learn something from that that's concrete, specific, and in the moment. And so it's not about talking the importance of gifts. It's about saying, so what's the gift? We, you and I, this moment, are receiving from each other. And in the naming of it, 
right? Bring it more fully into being. All right. I don't have to elaborate it. I have to remind myself to do it again. As soon as I say that your curiosity with me and your tolerance and warmth with me and your willingness to follow a path that maybe you didn't have in mind is an enormous gift to me. Thank you. And that builds the relationship. That and that's a lot closer. That really, you have to say it because you're sharing, you're inquiring, you're disclosing. And that way, you're building trust. Yeah. Right. And you're doing it quickly. It doesn't take six months or a year. Yeah. Like, I think asking that question to a, a business leader you've been working with for a while saying, what is it about our relationship? What about what is it about me that you find valuable as a partner, right? And see what they say. Well, let's, let's, let's role play it. Ask All me right. that question. I'm the guest. Ask me the question. Peter, you know, we've working together for a little while now, and I just you know, I want to know this last meeting. I think it was a good meeting, but I want to know, how am I adding value to you as a business leader? Why should I answer that question? Well, because I want to make sure that I'm adding value. I want to know what's working between us. And I want to know how I can add the most value to you so you can make good decisions, be a better leader. Beautiful. So you could say, because if I'm doing something right, I want to keep doing it. Okay. That's a better answer. Uh, and then, <laughs> and then, and then he says, well, I don't know. Well, if you did know, okay. So you come back to me and eventually I'll say, well, and I've asked this question myself, and the, the, the answer that stuck with me is because I always felt you cared. Stylistically, we can talk. Language, we can talk. But I always felt that you cared about what we're doing. I said, same. I would say that about you. Thank you. Appreciate that, Peter. One more thing on HR before we switch to your new book, Activating the Common Good, Reclaiming Control of Your Collective Well-Being. I'm excited to talk about that, but talking to Peter Block, I can't leave without asking about resistance. When HR leaders face resistance, how do we handle that? What's the right way when the leader says, I don't want to do that? That's a bad idea. You take their side. Good point. You don't overcome resistance. The resistance is against their own accountability. What they're resisting is the thought that they may have to do more, commit more, be more than they have been up to now. And they're blaming it on us. Now, sometimes we have a bad idea, but that's not resistance. Sometimes they just don't want to work with us. They don't want to do it. This new IT program, this new personnel, they don't want to do it. No is not resistance. They have a right to say no. But top management wants this. I know they do. I'm not going to do it. Thank you. You just saved us both enormous amount of agony. So no is not what resistance is, doubts, question. And then you just name what you see happening. You seem angry. Don't take the bait. Don't argue. You can repeat something once, but the third time you're making the same statement. It's not going anywhere. This is not sophisticated stuff. 
if I'm explaining it, it's not because I didn't wasn't clear enough. It's because it's triggering something in you. And so you say, what really bothers you? Okay. What what doubts do you have? What, so go into it. Be curious about it and do nothing about it. Reassurance is never persuasive. It's always an outcome tool. Don't reassure. Don't express hope and confidence. I know it'll work out. You don't know it'll work out. Stop. And my friend Meg Wheatley calls it hopium. Stop trying to sell hope. All you do is say, good point. Got it. Tell me more. What choice do you have? If people are up, but don't take it personal. If they don't like my style, I don't like it either. Okay, whatever they say, I'm just not going to take it on. And I learned that the hard way. I used to be attracted by people's doubts about Now I just find it mildly interesting because it has nothing to do with who I am. And all they need to do is be able to express it and go deeply. You seem so, angry. You're changing the subject. You keep looking at your watch. Is there some other place you'd rather be? I want it named. Because as soon as they name it, they have a choice about it. As soon as they say, I am angry, I am disappointed, you are one more person from top management. They then have a choice whether to yield to their sensation or say, okay, got it. Now tell me, let's talk about what we want to do together. It's brilliant advice. So lean into the resistance with curiosity to name. Curiosity heals the world. Okay, help knowing what's best for others produces violence. A lot to unpack there, Peter. I'm not touching that one, but I think it was very deep. No, I, it's not deep. It's just you know, stupid, but it, it does. As soon right. as I know what's best for you, I right. put us at odds with each. One of my favorite quotes is, you know, people make decisions for their reasons, not yours. Beautiful. And I try to remember that. I forget it sometimes. You know, and then you realize halfway through that they're making the choice for their reason. And if you haven't figured that out, then they're not going to make the choice because my reason for sure. And so yeah. that's and, and, a challenge. And you can help them name their reason as a gift. It's liberating for them because they're in prison by their reasons just as iron. Let's talk about your new book. As I said, it's coming out in November. Activating the Common Good, Reclaiming Control of Your Collective Well-Being. Talk to us more about the book and what made you decide to write it. I, uh, I live in despair. But for all of our language and work with the common good, whether it's the environment or raising a child or being healthy, no, no, we seem stuck most of the time. Everybody I know who works in healthcare knows it doesn't work. Every, and so I'm thinking, well, what would shift? What's, what are we doing now that's not working? What, right now, our strategies for change are more study, more research, more evidence, more protest. I'm looking at the streets and the commons in addition to livelihood and businesses and organization. And I just feel that the reason 
it's not working is because we're living within a certain context. And it's the business. Speed, scale, efficiency. They don't work outside a production house. They don't work when raising a child. It doesn't work to make schools more efficient or hospitals more evidence-based or police more effective and goal-oriented and project-minded. And so I'm, I'm desperately, and I'm saying, well, the notion that why don't we view building relationships as the ultimate form of activism? Why don't we stop calling people poor, which calls them broke? And why don't we call them isolated and bring them together and find out what they're good at? And so to me, it's, it's, a, it's a request to treat common good relational protocols as the key to ending poverty, ending violence, having a safe street. Do I need the police? Yeah, once in a while. Do I need the doctor? Once in a while. But my health is in our hands. If I join an association, I'll live two years long. What? So that's what it's about. It's the trade. Activism is about building relationship among people who care about some, instead of trying to sell them and convince them and protest them. And stop waiting for top managers to change their mind. Don't you get it? They're not going to do it. Change never happened from the top. And so it's just taking all the stuff we're talking about with HR and lawless consultants and bringing it into the public realm and reject the idea that we're divided. The working title of the book was We Are Not Divided. I will not accept the journalistic and social media version of me that says I'm polarized. It's not true. It's just a version. It's an error. And we think the narrative, so I'm trying to change the narrative. And if that makes sense to anybody, please let me know, because I don't know what I'm talking about, but I know I care about it. And that's what the book's about. And then it says, let's take what we did as facilitator. Small groups, open space, art of hosting, and treat that as leadership. So that HR is a model for leadership in the company. Anyway, thank you for asking. Well, I, I can tell you're passionate about it. And I think, you, you know, I kind of, I mean, why are you so passionate about the topic? Well, see, that's a beautiful question. Our relationship just changed because you, I don't know. Thank you for the question. Uh, it's a, I can't live with my own sense of helplessness. And, and so I ask myself, what am I good at? Well, I can talk and I can type. So quit whining. Is it powerful? Does it make a difference? Wrong question. It's, it's, it gives me a sense of purpose. And, uh, thank you. That's a sweet question. Well, we all need a sense of purpose. That is very true. And I think when people well, find their purpose, I think things change, right? People feel changes. different. Everything and changes. And it brings peace to the world. This is the key to racial reconciliation. 
not new policy, not all those things matter. But it has us finding a different way to be together. Realize we're in this together. Peter, this has been an incredible conversation, but I have one more question for you that I ask all my guests. What is one word or phrase you believe will define the future of HR over the next five to 10 years? We are the table. That if we don't decide what kind of world we want to create, we become the food, the menu. All right? So stop waiting for a seat at the table. Become the table. Become a player. Become a stance. And and our task is to restore humanity into an institutional world that's, that's been commodified. And that's what you're doing with the work you're doing, Jake. You're humanizing the function in the name of making it more effective. Thank you, Peter. Well, I want to tell you that 50 guests in or so, that is probably, I hate to say it to other guests, it's one of the best answers I've ever heard on what is the future of HR. I'm not surprised. Peter Block, thank you so much for being on. We learned a lot and I feel like we built a relationship. Yeah, we did. We're friends now. Absolutely. Thank you so much again for being on the future of HR. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Future of HR podcast. Thanks again to Peter for sharing his insights and how to be a more effective leader and for inspiring us to have even more impact in the future. As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. And if you enjoyed this episode of Future of HR, be sure to subscribe and share our podcast with at least one other person. This really helps us grow the podcast and helps with our mission of inspiring the next generation of HR leaders. We'll be back next week with a special podcast to celebrate our one-year anniversary, and we'll have a very special mystery guest. If you are a fan of the podcast, I promise you won't want to miss this one. Thanks again for listening to the Future of HR and being part of our community.